0: Week of Thanksgiving. Anybody have anything that they can be thankful for today? Okay, you say everything. Okay, but you know, as we go through the message this morning, think about what you are thankful for. You know, every single one of us has a reason to be thankful, even if it's only one. But with coupled with what Julie was talking about and. You know, just the struggle, the journey, that we're all going through it. We're all, have, we're all on a journey. And my message that I'm going to bring this morning, I think, if you listen to it and the things that I've been learning out of it, is it's going to make the journey simpler. It's not going to make the journey easier. There's still going to be persecution. There's still going to be tribulation. But if we can take our eyes off of what's going on around us, take our eyes off the storm and focus on who it is that we owe our lives to, it makes the life, the journey simpler. Because it helps you take things out of your life that don't belong there, that aren't helping you fulfill the purpose that God's given you, and moving into that. So last week, I talked about love and a bunch of different angles on it. Who remembers what I'm talking about today? And? Love and hate. We shouldn't be talking about hate in church, should we? How many of you did the assignment I gave you last week? Reading Romans 12:9. Let's see a show of hands. Who's, who did it? How many of you have followed the instructions? Okay? All right, the rest of you, I will ignore you. Romans chapter 12, verse nine. Short scripture. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, and cleave to that which is good. And out of that short verse in Romans Paul teaching us is where I came up with the message love and hate. The way that I say that it's going to be simple that if we follow what is taught here, what God's Word tells us, is that if we love what God loves and hate what God hates, Pretty much simplifies the life that we have, the decisions we have to make. And so in Romans 12 9, Paul says, Let love be without dissimulation. In other translations, they say dissimulation, so that they say hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. And what's one of the biggest complaints that you'll hear from people that aren't part of the church or that have left the church? Hypocrites. That we're hypocrites, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, what does it mean to be a hypocrite? Simple definitions, right? Is that we say one thing, but we act a different way. Um, Webster's definition of it is, is hypocrisy is claiming to have moral standards or beliefs that your personal behavior does not conform to. You talk the talk, but you don't walk it. That's what a hypocrite is. And so as Christians... We're to follow after Christ. We're to follow this example, the things that he taught. And and when our life does not line up with that, that's hypocritical. And so let love be without hypocrisy or dissimulation. And dissimulation means it's concealed, deceitful, or hypocritical. And so let your love be without deceit. Let your love not be concealed. Because the love of Christ, if we hide the love of Christ... What are we doing to the world? We're taking away the hope that they've got because Christ is the only hope that this world has to find answers, to find salvation. And so if you and I are hiding that from the world, we're being hypocrites. We're actually taking away the hope that the world has. So don't be a hypocrite, let your love be plain, let your love be shown so that people can see it and know that it's what hope that they have. A couple other translations take that same verse and they say, love must be sincere. Let your love be genuine. And don't just pretend that you love others, but really love them. And so to really love someone, you have to understand what love is. You know, do we all need love? Okay, it's part of our desire, our yearnings, is to find love, to know what love is. And if we as the church continue to allow the world to define love, It's gonna be a fake. It's gonna be a counterfeit of what the true love is. Because one of the things we talked about last week is, what is love? Or who is love, is a better way to phrase it, right? God is love, right? And that's why when we say love never fails, we can say that because God never fails, because God is love. You can intertwine those verses back and forth all day long, and that's the hope that we need to rest our lives on, is if God is love, Love never fails if it is true love. And so that's the difference we have to make is are we portraying, are we allowing God's love to transform us into his image? Not the other way around. We don't want to conform God to our beliefs. We don't want to conform or limit God to our level of faith. We want God to take our level of faith and do this to it. Make it something greater than it's ever been. And so God is love. And love never fails. Um, in First John chapter four, verse eighteen, it says, "There is no fear in love, but perfect love does what? Casts out fear." Casts out fear. And in First Timothy four seven, it says, "God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind." So that's what love truly does. Love will cast out fear. That if you have fear in your life, if there's something in your life that's holding you back, has God's perfect love revealed itself to you, or have you allowed God's perfect love to drive out the fear? Because it says that this it's a spirit of fear, and every name under heaven must do what? Bow to the name of Jesus, and so if. Fear is a spirit, and all spirits are under his authority. We have the authority as believers in Jesus Christ to say, Fear, you have no place in my life. In Jesus' name I rebuke you and cast you out. Simple, isn't it? But that's what we need to do, is we have to understand that because of who Christ is, we have all authority over creation. Not to do what we want to do with it, but to glorify the name of the Father. That's the power He's given us. That's the love that He's given us. And Jesus said in John chapter 13, He says, a new commandment I gave you. Okay. The Ten Commandments is pretty heavy stuff, right? Okay. How many of you try living according to the Ten Commandments? Okay. We all should be trying to live that way. Okay. But there were over 600 commandments that God gave the nation of Israel. And here's Jesus saying, here's another commandment for you. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, or my followers, if you love one another. So here we are, a gathering on Sunday morning of believers, right? Right. Sitting here, we've come to worship God, we've come to say, God do what, do with me what you will but do we actually love each other okay and again I'll pick on people over here on the wall got this side of the wall over here do you guys even know each other (laughs) and that's where my encouragement and then when we're all done here again today is get up and mingle don't just stay in your little you know sections here I'm gonna encourage you people over here Walk over here and introduce yourself to some people over here. We need to get to know each other. We have to learn to trust each other to know that we're all imperfect. Do I have weaknesses? Nobody want to answer that one? Okay, yes, I have weaknesses. I have imperfections. Well, ask my wife. She was actually quiet, so. She is behaving. But every single one of us, I mean, that's something that there's nobody perfect sitting here. I mean, can we be clear about that? Does anybody want to argue with me on that? Okay. None of us are perfect. And so we're past that. Everybody sitting here has something in their life that is not perfect. That they've had sin in their life. We're past that now. So now we can be comfortable with each other. That we all sh- fall short of the glory of God. Be comfortable with that. Because the people over here on this wall aren't the perfect group, okay? Neither is that group. We all fail and that's why we have to have the love of Christ in us, because that's what brings us together. That's what enables us to be able to look each other in the eye and say, I've sinned, I've fallen short of the glory of God, but I've been redeemed. You've all been redeemed. So that's our starting point, is that the love of Christ brought us together. And again, that's believers all across this world, not just here at PF, but all of us walking in the love of Christ. So the second part of Romans 12:9, and I'm going to start with that. You know my whole message, as you can see, the fists up there, is love and hate. Um, Anne and I were discussing this a little bit. and does love have an equal or an opposite? And it seemed you, know, according to this, love and hate seem to be opposite of each other. But if God is love, he has no equal. There's nothing in this world that is equal to God or in other worlds. And so is hate actually the opposite of love? Okay, I'm going to say no because God's perfect. God's all-powerful. There's nothing opposite him in in that realm. But I want to talk about hate To begin with, in Romans 12, 9, the second portion of that verse, it says, Abhor that which is evil, or hate what is evil or wrong. And depending on which translation you read, you know, I like the King James. You know, people have asked me different times why I like the King James. I like it because it makes me think about the words that are there. You don't hear abhor very often. How many of you have heard dissimulation before? They're not common words, and so as you're reading it, this is what works for me, is I have to stop and think about what the word actually means, dig into it a little bit better, so it gives me a deeper understanding of what the word is. But when you hear the wor- word abhor or hate, which one sounds like a stronger word? Abhor. abhor or hate? And last week we were talking about things that I loved and how you know, I think we use the word and we cheapen it, and I talked about my wife's wonderful apple pie, and I got some flack about that, okay? <laughs> I do not love her apple pies, but in the different vein of that is the apple pie is gone and I hate that. Okay. I ate the last pie last Sunday. Okay. But my point with that again is, do I really hate that there's no more apple pie? Or is it just, you know, I'm a little selfish and whiny that there's no more apple pie? That's what I want you to think about with the word hate, is stop cheapening it. You know, we have three boys, and I don't know how many times we heard, I hate you. You know, brothers get in fights. They, you know, don't like that somebody else is playing with their toy. Well, I hate you. Do they really? Okay. Do we really take the word, and again, take it for what it's supposed to mean? And so that's what I want you to think about today as I'm going through this list. And, you know, the comments even came up as I was telling a few other people about the message is, should we be talking about hate in church? Does God really hate anything? God loves everybody, right? God loves everything. He loves his creation. He loves, he loves, he loves, loves, okay? That's true, but it's not true. And the thing that we can go to is if if I can't back it up in scripture, I shouldn't be saying it. So obviously I have a scripture that backs up my point here that we need to hate what God hates. Because if we hate what God hates, again, it simplifies our life and the things that we allow into our life. And the things that we tolerate in our life, and that's one of the buzzwords, I guess you would say, in our current generation, is toleration, is that we're supposed to tolerate things, right? Should we tolerate sin in our life? Absolutely not. If we do, we're compromising the gospel. We're hypocrites. Because does does God tolerate sin? No. If He did, He wouldn't have sent Jesus. Simple as that. God hates sin. And so he sent his son Jesus Christ to redeem us from the consequences of sin that we have in our lives. And so if God hates sin, shouldn't we hate it also? If we're to be followers of his, followers of Christ. So if you'll turn to Proverbs chapter 16 in your Bibles, middle of your Bible, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. And it says, These seven, or excuse me, these six things does the Lord hate? These seven are an abomination to him. So, right there, we've got the backup of scripture that God hates certain things. And as I'm going through this list, as we're talking about it, I want you to think about your own life. Think about the things that are in your life, the things that you tolerate, possibly, the things maybe you've never even thought about. But we need to think about the things that God thinks about, the things that God's given us as his word to guide and direct us in this lifetime. So these six things does the Lord hate or abhor. These seven are an abomination to him. And number one in the list is a proud look or haughty eyes, depending on your translation. So what's a haughty eye? It's thinking I'm better than you are, that I'm superior to you. Um, Many of you, the only way that you know me is, you know, Sunday mornings here, you know, that I come up and give the message on some days. I lead the ISIM classes, the other classes we do. How many of you know what else I do as another job? Okay. So, a few of you know. I'm also a doctor. Okay. And one of the raps that a lot of doctors get is, we're smarter than you are. I know more than you do. And some of you are thinking, I hope you know more than I do about the human body, (laughs) Okay, But a lot of doctors, and I'm going to include myself in this, is a lot of doctors, we think we're better than you guys are because I've got more education, because I've got a degree, because part of my title is doctor, Okay, So if I stood up here as a doctor and pretended like I was superior to you in all the ways, that's a proud look. That's haughty eyes. It's me talking down to you. And hopefully I never come across that, even in my office. I try not to be you know, arrogant because I have more of an education than some people do. But what I want to do is the gifts that God's given me, they should keep me humble. And that's where I'm at, is that if I come and I act superior and talk down to people from the pulpit here, then I'm being a hypocrite, and God hates that. And so in your own lives, look at your own life. Do you have a proud look about certain aspects of your life that because I do this particular job or this function, I'm better than you? Well, I may be a better doctor than you are, but Kurt's a better construction guy than I am. Okay. Whatever your occupation is, whatever you do, is you should be good at that but it should not be a sense of pride that I'm better than everybody else because of that one particular aspect of my life. So a proud look is something that God hates. Education without Christ is there. Oh. Yes, it is. The second thing that God hates is a lying tongue. And that one seems pretty simple, but I'm going to co- contrast this a little bit with one of the things other in this list. is a lying tongue. It's a personality trait. It's like a pathological liar is God hates that. God hates the lies coming off of your mouth. And so, don't be a liar. Pretty simple. Number three is hands that shed innocent blood. And one of the commandments that ties into that one very closely is you shall not murder. Okay, hands that shed innocent blood. So what that does is it says that God hates If I were to just go kill somebody for the sake of killing them or because I wanted something that they owned, I shed innocent blood because of my own selfishness, my own desires, God hates it. You shall not murder. Number four, a heart that devises wicked imaginations or plans. This is something that God hates. And we'll take this in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us two examples that as Christians, we're held to a higher standard than the rest of the world. You know, Even the Old Testament, it said that you, know, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. So the physical act was what the nation of Israel was guilty of if they actually committed it. But Jesus gave us a higher command, a higher law in Matthew chapter 5 where he says that if you're angry with your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. If I look at a woman or if I you know, look after her in lust, in my heart, I've committed adultery. I've broken the commandment that God gave. And so the fourth one that God hates is a heart that devises wicked imaginations or plans. Anything that is a sin and you think about it in your heart, it's sin and God hates it. So should we hate the things that God hates? Yes. Absolutely. The fifth thing that God hates is feet that are swift and running to mischief or wrong. The previous one, the heart that devises wickedness, is a matter of the heart. This one, the feet that are swift and running to mischief or doing wrong, is, it's a heart issue that you've taken action on. If I've got anger in my heart towards anybody, that's one sin. But then if I actually allow that sin, that plan in my heart to make me go and kill somebody, that's the feet that are swift to running to mischief. And so God hates that when the heart's desires that are wicked take action. And then number six, a false witness that speaks lies. This is a heavy one. This is the difference between number two, I think it was, yes, lying tongue and a false witness that speaks lies. Seems like they're about the same thing, doesn't it? Okay, but they're different enough that God gave us two different sins They're two th- different things that He hates. A false witness that speaks lies. The difference is a lying, that in a lying tongue that's just what the person does. They lie to protect themselves. They lie to make themselves feel better, whatever it is. In this one, this sin here is a deliberate attempt to make someone look bad or to ruin somebody's reputation. So you lie about your neighbor that I saw them doing this and this when they didn't. God hates that. He doesn't want us to be making up lies and trying to defame somebody's character or ruin their you know, job, whatever happens to be. And then the seventh one that God hates, and it's an abomination, is when someone sows discord among the brothers. This is one that a person who disrupts a family, causes strife, whatever you want to call it, is this is a person that goes into a company or a gathering and speaks lies or commits murder, whatever. When I was reading that, number seven, if you look back at the previous six, number seven is a culmination of all those other ones, the potential that it has in there, that God hates it when we come in and sow discord or disrupt a peaceful setting. Spread lies about people. God hates it. So, those things, those seven things, if we can take those and put them into our own life and say, if God hates it, I should hate it too. Stop tolerating, well, it was just a little lie. A lie is a lie. Little or not, God hates it. And so, if God hates it, that should be part of what we hate. And then the last one, Romans 12, 9. Cleave to that which is good. Cling to what is good. And cleave is a verb, right? It's an action word. It's not just something that happens. It's something that we make happen. Um, Webster says it, it's to stick, to adhere, to hold to, to unite or be united closely in interest or affection. To adhere, adhere with strong attachment. So when... Paul says in Romans chapter 12, cleave to that which is good. It's something that we need to do. It's something we take action and make ourselves stick to something. And so if we're to stick to God, what do we have to do? We've got to take action. We've got to read his word. We've got to spend time in prayer. We've got to sing hymns to him. We have to make an effort to cling, to cleave to God. Um, In Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, it says, A man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife and they become one flesh. Okay. So when I was younger, I left my parents, got engaged Anne, married Ann, and we've become one flesh. Not completely because we still have communication issues. Still try to figure out what we're saying to each other sometimes. But we've got to know each other better. We're more united than we once were. And so cleaving is an act that constantly has to be renewed, taken day by day. And that the longer we've been married 32 years, known her for 34 years, know um, her better than I used to. Okay? We have more of a united front, if you will, a united life than we once did. Because we've put effort into it. We've made the time to get to know each other. And we're still getting to know each other. I mean, there's still things that I'm able to tell her stories from my past. Well, I never knew that. Okay? It's a constant state of getting to know each other at a deeper level. And that's what God wants for us to do, is He wants us to take His Word. He wants us to take the, the songs that have been anointed and sing them so that we can become more united with His heart, cleave to Him in a way that we've never done. That, you know, One of the common things I like to say is if we all look back on ourselves one year from today, and we're the same as we were today, that's not good. We should constantly be growing. We should constantly be understanding to a deeper level of who God is and how He wants to use us. So if one year from now, I'm no different physically, mentally, or spiritually, I failed. I'm a hypocrite. Because the Word of God is to be constantly changing us into the likeness and the thinking of Christ. And in John chapter 23, verse 8, it says, cleave to the Lord your God, become one with God. Again, simple. Cleave to the Lord your God, become one with God. And so transitioning from hate, move away from hate now, is we're to hate what God hates. On the converse of that is we should love what God loves. And if we take the same scripture, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, and we reverse all of those things, is if God hates a proud look, do you think God loves a humble look? Yes. Okay. So that's what I want you to think of as we go through those same, those same seven verses, or seven things that God hated, is I'm going to t- kind of reverse them in our thinking right now. Is that if God hates those things from Proverbs chapter six, then the opposite is what I'm gonna work on right now. Is the first one again is not to have a haughty eyes, but a humble redeemed sinner. You think God loves a redeemed sinner? Absolutely. Okay. Every single one of you that's sitting here has a relationship with Jesus Christ. God loves you. Simple statement, but that's something that we need to embrace. That some of you may have heard that over and over again, that God loves you, but it's never hit you here. That you're still struggling with self-worth. You're still struggling with you know, other people telling you that you're not valuable. You're not something that, somebody that God can use. Okay, those are all lies. Because God loves you and he redeemed you because he loved you. So we should all have a humbleness about that because none of us is better than another because we're all redeemed by the same blood. That doesn't make me better than anybody else because I got redeemed on a certain date and time, maybe sooner than some of you did. I'm no better than you because I've been redeemed by the same blood. The second one is, instead of a lying tongue, God loves one that speaks the truth in love. So instead of having a lying tongue, we should be speaking the truth. We should be speaking God's love constantly to other people, to ourselves even. Number three, those that protect or rescue the innocent. You think God loves that? I mean, so many of the scriptures were told that Christ came to set the captives free, right? He came to break the chains off of people. He came to mend up the broken hearted. And so, if we're a part of that, if we allow ourselves to be used by God to help those things happen, God loves that. Um, many of you have heard. You know, we talked about the Restoring Hope dinner. And how many of you were here at the Restoring Hope dinner? Did you have any fun? Absolutely. Okay. Not only did we have fun that night, but we set people free. Literally, that when people come in and they fight over. A bidding war over a cake and have fun doing it. Those actions literally set people free because we're able to take that money and give it to these two different organizations and say, go get a girl out of sex trafficking. You think that doesn't change her life or his life? Okay. So those that protect or rescue the innocent, God loves that. And so all of us have a part that we play. We may not be the one, you know, using that particular example. You may not be the one that is trained to be able to go into a brothel and take a young girl out of sex trafficking. But if you've provided the funding for them to be able to get there and do it, you're part of it. Part of the blessing is yours. The fourth one, a heart that thinks of what is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, virtuous and praiseworthy. So if you focus, if you allow your heart to constantly be thinking about the goodness of God and virtuous things, God loves that. But if your heart is constantly thinking on ways to get get won over on somebody else, to get revenge on somebody, that doesn't please God. God hates that. But when you're thinking of good things, how can I help this person? How can I become more like Christ? Those are the kind of things that God loves. Number five, feet that are swift to help or rescue. And that ties into what I was talking about with the restoring hope and the other opportunity we have to sow into people's lives. Number six, one who hears lies and will speak the truth. This is a tall one because all of us hear people speak lies and we know it's a lie. But in Christ are we willing to stand up to that and say, what you're saying is a lie, right. and this is the truth. Okay, Eric, if I were to say that you're worthless, is that true? No. Okay, it's a lie, it's a huge lie, <laughs> okay? So if you heard me say that, you know, again, obviously we're in a you know, very public setting, but if you overheard me saying that to Eric, in private, if you will, who would be willing to come to his defense? Hopefully every single one of you would. Okay. Because we all know that if anybody is ever told you're worthless, that it's a lie from Satan. You don't have to check scripture, you know it's a lie. Because all of you know scripture and it says that God loved Eric. Gave his only begotten son so Eric could be redeemed. So that's all you need to know that if you ever hear somebody saying something like that to another person, you're a liar. This is the truth, that Christ loves him and died for him. That's all we need to do. Number seven, God loves when the brethren forgive each other and when we reconcile and when we bring peace. So if God hates it when there's discord and disunity sowed amongst a body, do you think he loves it when there's reconciliation? When peace is made? When peace is stirred up and raised? And we're actually told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, God has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. That's good news, isn't it? But it goes on to say, and he's given to us The Ministry of Reconciliation. So every single one of you sitting here as a Christian, you have the power and the authority to bring reconciliation within your own family, within your own group, whatever it happens to be. But in the body of Christ, we are to be reconcilers. That we're to say the things that are being spoken, the things that are not bringing peace, we need to rebuke them. We need to call forth the truth and say that God has called us to reconcile. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, when I wasn't even a Christian and I started reading the Bible, God was drawing my heart to Him, is in Romans chapter 5. And it says that when we were still enemies, we were still God's enemies, He reconciled us to Himself through His Son Jesus Christ. and. Again, being you know, that I like history the way I do, you, you, know, you read the word enemy in the Bible and it just seems like kind of a strange word because you always hear you know, God is love, God is you know, all caring. And then to read the word enemy in there and God's talking about me. He says, when I was his enemy, when, God, when I was God's enemy, he still loved me enough to reconcile me back to him through his son Jesus Christ. It's one of the, again, one of the first verses that, I mean, really stood out in my life when I was reading the scriptures, and I still wrestle with it, you know, 24 years later, 25 years later, trying to figure out exactly what that means, that how could I have been God's enemy when he's all love? Well, because I was a sinner, and God hates sin. He didn't hate me, but he hated what had separated me from His love. And so that's the whole reason for the cross. That's why Jesus voluntarily came and let Himself be put on that cross, is to bring us back into a right relationship with Him and with the Father, to become part of the family again. So we have to love what God loves. And is this helping anybody understand how much simpler our life could be? If we truly loved what God loved and hated what He hated, it gives us a more defined avenue on what we need to think about, what our actions need to be. And there's a couple other things I want to share with you on what God loves. One of the first things, or the first thing I want to share on that is He loves His chosen people, He loves Israel that when He called Abraham out of the Chaldeans, follow me, go where I tell you to go, God started a work, He started a covenant relationship with Abraham and Abraham's descendants. And as Christians, we've been grafted into the body, we've been you know, taken into something that was not our original place of residence, our family. And He said when He was talking to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, He said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those that curse you. So if God is willing to curse somebody because of his people, do you think he loves his nation? That he loves Israel? If you look at just the, the history of Israel you know, from the Bible and then even to the current stages of, you know, history, is there's absolutely no way that the nation of Israel should exist today. Because days after they were formed as a nation, that they were given their, you know, sanction to be a nation, is they are attacked by all their neighbors. Militarily, there's absolutely no way that they should have survived. But when God puts his hand upon a person or a people... What should happen in the natural doesn't happen because those that are for them are greater than them that are against them. So God loves his people of Israel, the Hebrews. What else does God love? He loves his word. Everybody hold your Bibles up. Okay. God loves this. He gave us 66 books to help us understand what his love looks like. You know, there's a, you know, there's extra writings, there's the lost sayings of Jesus. How many of you have heard of those? Is there enough in this book to keep you busy for a lifetime? Okay, you can learn things from other writings, from you know, other you know, lost books and that, but this is what God has preserved over thousands of years. He has kept his word intact because he loves his word. He loves what his word can do for us. And Jesus is the word, right? So does he love his word? Absolutely. Because Jesus is the word. This is the word we have written down to help us you know, live and guide our lives. But it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit leading and teaching us that this thing comes to life. So God loves his word. We should love it too. That's why you know some of you are probably tired of me saying this but that's why I encourage you actually bring this thing with you. Make it a habit that you're actually picking this thing up and making a dedicated effort. Cuz this is heavier than your phone, right? Take ladies, this takes up a little more room in your purse except for Kathy's purse. Is it requires more of an effort. But love what God loves. Let people see you with this thing. Because if they see you on your phone, they say, oh, they're just on Twitter or Instagram or whatever it happens to be. But if you're actually reading this thing out in public, you're testifying of what you love. And people are going to see that. Um, Of all the scriptures that I've referred to, this is the only one that I actually found that says, God loves this. It's the only one I'm going to use today, and it's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And so, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to that real quickly. 2 Corinthians, just go to the right of Romans. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. So that's just a principle right there in so many different ways. It's not just talking about finances. Verse 7, Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so you can apply this to finances, to your tithe, to your you know resources in that way. And if you come and you buckets are gone. But if you come and drop your tithe in here and you're mumbling and grumbling the whole way up here, it's like, oh, I don't want to give this today, but I'm going to do it anyhow. Is that pleasing to God? Okay. God wants you to be cheerful because what you've been given, you know, if he's given you $100, he asks you to give him $10, he's blessed you, hasn't he? That you have money in your hand that you can drop in, to show him that you love him. So God loves a cheerful giver. What about your time? Does God want you to give time?
1: You know,
0: He's given you 24 hours today. He wants you to give some of it to him. And so are you a cheerful giver when you say, all right, God, I'm going to give you 10 minutes of reading this thing. But if if you do it begrudgingly, it's like, oh, it's just, I got to do it. I know I should but you do and you sit there and whine and complain, well, I could be doing this or that or the bills are on or whatever it happens to be, is you're not getting it. God loves you to be cheerful when you give Him your time, when you give Him your life, when you give Him your finances. Is God wants you to be a cheerful giver because that's what God loves? Do you think God was cheerful when He gave Jesus Christ to die on on the cross? I think he was because he knew what the reward was going to be. You know. Every one of you right now look at yourself. Okay. When God gave Jesus Christ, he had your face in his mind and said, "I'm happy. I'm cheerful because that's what I'm getting." is when he gave Jesus Christ to die on that cross, he cheerfully gave him because of what he sees sitting here right now. Every single one of you. Fourth thing thing on this vein is God loves sinners. In John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, right? And in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated His love this way, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God loves sinners. He hates the sin. He grieves over the sin that separates me from Him. But He still loves me. He still loves the world. As it says in John chapter 3, verse 16, He loves the world so much that He gave Christ to die on the cross to redeem the world back to him. It grieves him when we reject him, because he doesn't make us accept his gift of salvation, but he says, take it. It's there for your benefit, it's there for your redemption, but he still loves the sinner even as they reject him. And then again, number five and this is, to love what God loves is God loves you. This is a hard statement. You know, classes I've led, abuse that people have been under, is I can't love myself. I can't forgive myself. Anybody ever said that before? Okay. I want you to take John chapter 3 verse 16 and, again, personalize it. And I want you to repeat this after me. So, you know, as we go through John chapter 3 verse 16, t- take world out of the phrase and I want you to say your name and I actually want you to do this. For God so loved rich. Say your name. Okay. Who does God love? So if God loves you, you should love yourself also. Because if Christ died on the cross for your sins, redeemed you, that's how much he loves you. And if he loves you, we should also love ourselves. Not in a selfish way, not in a vain way, but in a way that if he loves us enough to give us the most perfect gift in the world, we must be worth loving. If it's difficult to love yourself, you need to spend more time with God. Asking him reveal himself to you, reveal truth to you. So love what God loves and hate what he hates. Simple message. Again, this is a Thanksgiving week, right? Find something to be thankful for. It's easy. You just have to look. You have to determine in your heart that even the struggles you're going through, you should be thankful for. Because the struggles that you're going through, they build up your faith. They demonstrate God's love to you. They demonstrate who your friends are even. And that's an important thing is we need to understand that as a body of believers, we need to be there for each other. We need to walk alongside when there's loss. We need to walk alongside when there's struggles. Because God didn't call us to do this on our own. He called us to be a body that works together for a purpose, and that's to glorify Him. So it's time to reflect on goodness this week with Thanksgiving coming up as you gather with your family, friends. Reflect on the goodness of God, His protection and His blessings, His grace and His mercy, His Son and His Holy Spirit. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, it says, "'Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for his mercy endures forever. Save us, God, of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the heathen that we may give thanks to your holy name and triumph in your praise. So let that be your prayer that because God is good because of what he's done for you, that's more than enough reason right there to give thanks, to celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, I'm not gonna share it with you, but. Starting with our first president, George Washington, he actually made a proclamation that was brought to him by the Congress and said, We need to establish or have a set aside a day of nationwide corporate thanksgiving for all the mercies of God, all the blessings of God. Um, it's easy enough to find if you go online and it's a proclamation from I think it was 1789. And in it George Washington asked us to thank God for this nation. He prayed for us to understand the blessings that God had for us. And you should go and read this at some point. Um, There's actually, I posted one up on the information desk. I think it was actually Grover Cleveland. Is that we've had numerous presidents over the years make this proclamation before it was made a national holiday. And every single one of them that I read, give glory to God. And I want you to understand that, that again, especially the state of the nation that we have right now, is that every one of these presidents, starting with George Washington said, we need to, as a nation, give thanks to God because of what he's done for this country, how he's preserved us, how he's kept us. He gave us the constitution. He gave us the declaration of independence. And if you read those documents, they are laced with God's direction, references to who God is and his leading. And so for those that want to say that God has no place in this country, that's called a lie. That this country was established on godly principles. And that as the nation, that we're, we're the ones that now reap the benefit of what was sown 244 years ago. And we need to hold on to that. We need to continually remind ourselves, we need to remind each other of what God has done to bring us to this point. And it's worth giving thanks for. So if you would, everybody stand, let's close in a prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have the freedoms to gather here together and just lift up your name I thank you for your son Jesus Christ and his willingness to sacrifice himself that we may be brought back into a right standing a redemption with you we thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives in us and lives with us as we struggle and walk through this life the days that we have lord we don't know how many they are but we thank you each day for a new breath of life that we may proclaim your love and proclaim your goodness and that we'll be an example lord to the world and those around us that we can be part of your hope that people are looking for so as we go forth from here this week Help us to celebrate you each and every day, not just on Thanksgiving Day, but that your goodness will constantly be on our minds and we will think on the things that please you, that we will love what you love and we'll come to hate what you hate. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Go, be blessed, enjoy your families, and be thankful.